If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, episode number 272. I can picture you sitting there at your desk, glancing around those stark office walls, the ping of your email inbox echoing in your ears, and you're thinking, there has got to be more for me than this. If quitting your nine to five and diving headfirst into your big entrepreneurial dreams is on your heart, you know the feeling of wanting to break free as soon as possible. Today, I'm so excited to have a conversation with my guest about quitting and what comes next. How do you know you're ready to quit? What will your friends and family think? Where will the money to grow your business even come from? And what happens on day one of unemployment when you officially change your title to entrepreneur? What do those first days and weeks and months look like after you said goodbye to security and wave hello to all of the unknowns? I'll bet you can see yourself in Jane Liu's story. Jane was an accountant who hated her job and she got let go. She didn't even tell her family for two years. Meanwhile, she was bootstrapping her now massive fashion empire, Shopo. Jane went from being major in debt to a Forbes 30 under 30 and on track for $100 million in sales by 2020. Those numbers sound absolutely unreal, but it all started with her decision to quit. Here she is, Jane Liu. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Hey, Jane, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to connect with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to... Awesome. Okay, so we kick off every show with our guests just sharing a little bit about their story. So I'm curious for you, where did it all start? How did you end up here? What are you doing today as the founder of a company on track for $100 million in sales? Fill us in. Well, I mean, I definitely didn't have the most ideal thoughts. So I actually never even thought I would start a business. I never, like growing up, I just wanted like a really safe job. My parents and I immigrated from China when I was eight. 
And so, you know, as an immigrant, all they want for me is job security and financial security. And that just meant working for a big company, which I actually really wanted to do when I was younger. I studied commerce and I ended up working as an accountant. I was so keen. I got a job straight out of high school and I thought I was like, I thought I was the shit because I thought <laughs> I thought I was like set up for life. I was like fast track, great career in accounting. And I did that for like almost pretty much three years. Realized that it just wasn't for me. I realized I came back, I went traveling. I lived in Sweden for a bit. And then when I came back, I saw my life differently. I didn't see it as safe anymore. I saw it as boring because I knew kind of exactly what it's going to be like. And I looked at some of the partners at work and I realized like, that's not where I want to be. Also, I kind of, by that point realized that I was so like terrible at accounting and <laughs> I probably would never get promoted. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get out. And so at that time, one of my friends, she came to me and asked me if I wanted to start a business as a side hustle. And I was like, pretty excited. I was like, fine, whatever, I'll do it. I didn't actually even like think about what was the business model, which let me tell you now, it's very important. That's probably my first big business lesson that I learned that like, no matter how much passion or hard work you put in, like if the business model isn't right, it's never going to work, which is not the best like motivating thing to say, but it's a hard lesson to have to learn yourself. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, so that's basically what happened. We decided to start this business around six months into it, it failed. And mm -hmm. just before it failed, I actually quit my job to work on it full time. And then, so all of a sudden, I mean, I went from having this great job, having financial security, having, you know, I always did well at school. So my parents are all, have always been proud of me. So all of a sudden I was unemployed. I lost all the money I had saved from working in that business. I had a failed business under my track record. And it was all in the middle of the global financial crisis. So no way I could get another job, even if I wanted to. And so like, it was like literally rock bottom and I'm an only child. And, you know, as I said, my parents immigrated for me. So they kind of like had put a lot of pressure on me, you know, and as an only child, all their eggs are in the Jane basket. So <laughs> I just like didn't actually know how to tell them that I quit my job. And then when my business failed, I was like, hell no, I can't do that. So uh, I was living at home at the time. So I actually just pretended to go to work for the first six oh months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It feels uh, surreal to like even say it. I can't even believe doing that. <laughs> but like, uh, seriously, like I'm not, and the thing is I'm like, so not a morning person, but imagine getting like, so I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than getting up early than getting up early and being unemployed. So getting up early for no reason, I would put on my suit every day and like a proper like corporate suit. And then actually my mom used to work in the city. So I would have to get the bus into the city with her. Like I couldn't just like go oh, to a park. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I used to carry around an empty laptop bag and just, that was like the start, the genesis of chauffeur. <laughs> so what did you do all day when you'd go into the city? So I started just kind of like, you know, I just started off wandering around trying to figure shit out, you know, and I used to, you know, go to a cafe with my laptop and try and brainstorm. But then I realized, you know, that gets pretty expensive to sit in a cafe all day. And I wasn't doing anything. And so I got a job as a receptionist at a laser hair removal clinic, which is fine, but not, you know, a natural progression 
from having a degree in accounting and finance. So, but then, you know, I needed the money. So I always tell people there's no shame in like going to get money while you're trying to figure this out, because that's kind of like, I know you don't really, I would say most people actually don't start a business for the money. They do it for other reasons, but you need to remember you actually need the money. <laughs> it's like, yes. you know, it's like you don't, no one loves blood, but you need blood to stay alive. You just kind of need that. You need money to stay in business. So what did Shopo, like, how did this come to be? What were your next steps? So you're working as a receptionist. Your parents think you're still an accountant. You're going into the city every day. <laughs> then what happened? So I only at that point. So the thing is, this like entrepreneurial wave hit Australia a lot later. So even though this is 2010, I still only at this point had one friend that had their own business. Like I didn't know anyone else with their own business. I didn't even know about startup communities and like there weren't podcasts for business back then. And all the books I used to read back then were like, you know, Steve Jobs, um, Richard Branson. It wasn't like there wasn't anything that attainable. So I didn't know where to seek advice. So I went to this one friend that I, I knew that had his own business. And I think I was secretly trying to hope that he would give me a job because, you know, no one else would give me a job at this point. And so I thought he, maybe he would give me a job and I could just learn a lot from him about how to start a business. And so when I came to him, he actually, he suggested that I meet his friend who already, it's a girl who had her own business in fashion, but not in retail and also wanted to get into a retail business. So he suggested that we could start a business together. But then at this point, so I forgot to say that my first business, the one that failed, we ran pop-up stores and stocked emerging labels. It was still retail. And so when he suggested that I start a retail business with this new girl, I said, well, heck no, that is the last thing that I want to do. <laughs> I literally just failed in this fashion retail business. I want to stay as far away from it as possible because it's not my thing, which now I realize how stupid that sounds because I literally just, you know, where all my experience and learnings are. And the whole point is to take your learnings and build something bigger with it. So anyway, at the time I was like, no, 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 kind of like give me a job. But he kept that I meet this girl because he had this impression that I was kind of retail expert. And how he had that impression was because the first business, we hemorrhaged all this money. We decided to use PR for marketing. I think mainly because my ex-business partner had a bit of a chip on her shoulder from being made redundant from her corporate job in the global financial crisis. So we got this PR, which didn't actually make us any sales because it's it's really hard to justify PR at that level of like hiring an agent when you're doing a startup, but we actually did get quite a bit of PR and it, while it didn't bring us sales, I used to spam all of my friends with it on Facebook. And so he was one of them. And so he would see that I was getting all these, you know, mentions in, you know, renowned publications and then he would afford it to his friend as well. So, you know, even though it didn't have the purpose that it was meant to have, it actually gave him that impression that I was a retail expert, which he passed on to his friend, which he suggested that I would just go meet his friend. And I kind of reluctantly went, but I had to go because I had no other options. And when I met this girl, we just instantly hit it off. We got along so well. And then I think maybe within a handful of times of meeting, we one night got drunk, had too many glasses of red wine, and we came up with a name and concept behind show pony, which is what we were called back then. So it just kind of all happened. And I can't believe it because normally things don't happen that 
easily and smoothly. I mean, not easily because I had to go through a failed business for it to happen, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right? Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. I know what it's like to feel completely thrown off your game because you're just not motivated or your mind isn't in the right space. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you all about superhuman activations. Now, if meditation isn't for you, you need to try activations instead. Activations are a groundbreaking new type of audio that's this mix of a motivational podcast, cinematic music, and guided visualization. They are fundamentally different from meditation and a lot more exciting to listen to. Instead of calming you, activations are motivating, energizing, and transformative. You'll reach your goals faster whether you want to earn more money, get clarity, achieve a health goal, or feel like you're reaching your highest potential. They're essentially a shortcut to get to where you want to be and the ultimate way to visualize your future self. And you can only find them on the Superhuman app. I use and love Superhuman and find myself playing activation several times a day, whether I'm baking bread, doing my skincare, or even when I'm in the shower. Superhuman offers something completely different to other apps out there, and I cannot wait for you to try them. Take advantage of their 14-day free trial and head over to activations.com forward slash gold digger to start your trial and save over 60% off your membership. There is literally no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The discount is only available through their website, not the app store. So visit activations.com forward slash gold digger now for over 60% off. Do not miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts and it expires soon. That's activations.com forward slash gold digger. So let's say someone came up to you today and they were like, I have this job. It's a nine to five and this isn't the path for me. I know there's something more out there. What would you tell them to do? Well, if they have a business idea, then that's great. I would say just, you know, just go for it because you should always have a bias for action because the sooner you start, the sooner you learn and you're not going to get it right at the start. So just, you can plan, 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 but what you're going to learn and it's just going to exponentially grow when you actually start. But if you don't have a business idea, do not start and waste your money. I would say go and work for a startup. You can learn so much 
that's a hundred percent what I honestly probably should have done, but I didn't even really know about startups back then. Okay. I'm dying to know, tell me what happens with your parents. So they think you're going to this job. How do you drop the truth to them? What does that look like? Where were you at in your career at this point when you tell them, Hey, I'm actually not an accountant anymore. (laughs) I have my own business. This is what it looks like. So my parents are actually quite gullible. I actually, so I stayed with them for six months and kept up this facade of putting on the suit every day. But then my boyfriend, who we were in the long distance relationship with, because um, he, he's from Brisbane, moved to Sydney for work. And I like to think for me, but when he moved in, <laughs> I just like showed up with all of my stuff. We've been dating for maybe like seven months at this point, but most of it long distance. But I just showed up with all my stuff. We never had a, should we move in together talk? I just like showed up and just started living with him and didn't move out and didn't actually, it's, you know, didn't pay rent. Like it was a tiny, you know, one bedroom apartment, but I just used that, that actually helped me to not have to deal with my parents. And then I kind of just didn't like tell them much. I told them that I was, I think for the next six months, I told them I was still working. And then it got to a point where I actually needed to use the garage for my stock. So I told them that I was actually, I took unpaid leave from work because business was going well. And at this point we kind of were doing a bit better. And then it wasn't until we had our own office and it had a lot of stock in there. So it was two years later that I told my parents and I think I had such a big fear of failure and I didn't want them to be disappointed And I, you know, obviously it sounds like I have some kind of complex about this, but I (laughs) literally looked at, I probably had half a million dollars of stock sitting there. And so I thought, you know, worst case scenario, if I fail now, I could take this stock, like fire sale it and use it to invest into a new business or at least like keep me going for a while. But at this point I was, that's when I felt safe to tell my parents. And when I told them, they couldn't believe it. They were like, oh. Because they're not entrepreneur, like entrepreneurial. They worked in businesses. They worked. My mom works at a bank. My dad's a computer engineer. And they were just like, "How did you have the balls to do this?" And I was, you know, I was being a little sucker. But it's true. I was saying, I said that you know, you guys dropped everything you knew. You took the biggest risk of all when you moved to Australia. You didn't have. You left only your friends. You had to, you know, re- they couldn't get the jobs that they had. They, you know, they had to work as cleaners and, and in factories. And they didn't speak the English and they, you know, still don't really speak good English now. And like, you risk everything. So that's kind of like what it takes to be an entrepreneur, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the biggest questions that I feel like I get, and one of the biggest roadblocks that people hit when they have this idea, this notion of starting their own business is they don't have money. And you kind of said it earlier, and I love what you said about like, you have to have money to like fund the startup process. Like you have to keep investing and reinvesting. But what did it look like for you when you don't have this salary anymore to invest in this business? How did you make things work? How did you make it happen? Well, you have to, it's a lot of skimping and hustling. So I actually got lucky in terms of, I think, I think that your two main expenses with starting an online store is stock, your inventory, and also marketing. So my first, and you know, what's I think is crazy is how much you, and you'll hear this, how my first business, even though at the time I thought it was the biggest mistake, the biggest failure of my life. And you know, when you're younger, you, you know, make everything's more dramatic, you know, but I couldn't even forgive myself at the time for making such a stupid mistake. But now with hindsight, I could see 
how one thing led to another. So with the first business, when we stocked products from emerging designers in our pop-up store, we did it on consignment terms, which is what my business partner kind of taught me about this at the time, which meant that we would take stock from these designers and we would only have to pay them after it's sold, which means that we didn't have to outlay any money up front. And so with Shopo, what happened was we, my new business partner knew a supplier. And so we approached the supplier with the concept of consignment and we very uncommon, like wholesalers do not like consignment, but we got very lucky that she had that relationship and they did say yes, which meant that we didn't have to t- pay for any stock until it sold, which at this time I had no real fashion experience. So I didn't know what stock to buy. So I was learning as I went which, and I didn't have the money to do that. So it kind of gave us this risk-free way to test out the market and understand what our customer wanted. And so what this meant was it was a very manual and laborious exercise. It meant that every day I would have to go to the supplier's office and pick all the orders that needed to be fulfilled that day for the last 24 hours. So, but at this point, you know, time I had a lot of money, I did it. So I had to do this. And then, so, you know, and of course, once we started to make some money, we would start buying stock outright because that's, you know, makes more sense as a business model, but you know, and then, so your other big thing, uh, expense is marketing. And so back when I was working in my corporate job, I would spend literally all my time on Facebook. Like I was a Facebook addict and I would, you know, that person that would alt tab to a fake spreadsheet when someone would walk by, but I was spending all my time um, on Facebook, which probably explains why I was so bad at my job. But anyway, it turned out to be blessing in disguise because when I wanted to start ShowPro and, you know, I couldn't afford any of the traditional marketing channels like print advertising and definitely not PR, which is what, drained us off money in the first business, I, you know, I I could only turn to social media, but even then, like back then that was so, at least doing it, it wasn't a validated marketing channel to actually make sales, but we were doing it. And that's pretty much what drove sales for us. And again, you know, learned that from the first business failing. That is like, honestly, isn't it amazing though to look back at how resourceful you can be when you're starting out? Because I feel like a lot of times when you have a budget, when you have money, you aren't as scrappy or as resourceful as you were when you didn't. And I feel like a lot of times we have to remember to like go back to those days where we were just making things work with whatever we had. And I feel like sometimes you can lose that the bigger you get, you're like, oh, I can hire someone or I can do that. And that scrappiness is what got you to where you are today. And even honestly, even now, we still have to remind ourselves to have that startup mentality because I look around the office and sometimes it's just like, you know, you can get, you can get lazy and carried away. But so I think it's just so important to have that rigor because the problem is, you know, you can't predict the economy. You can't predict what happens and you want to be able to stay nimble, you know, because at like I look at the last few years there's been times where you know you have a few bad months and then you realize how fixed your fixed costs are and yeah like that's you need to be stay nimble so I want to know when did you actually feel like an entrepreneur like when could you tell people I'm an entrepreneur because I feel like that's a huge turning point going from like a more corporate job to saying no I own my own business or I'm an entrepreneur what did that look like for you Um, I feel like, I think the moment that I knew that I 
like kind of looked around me and thought, oh my God, I've, I've made it. I've like achieved what I wanted was there was a point where I, I was making more money than what I would need if I was working. So that was good because that meant that I didn't have to justify work. But then I also, so the thing about accounting is there's this postgraduate study, like your CA or your CPA, which at one point I realized like, even if I, this is a bit lame, but like, even if I failed, I could get another job working for another online store for another retail business. Like I would not have to ever do that degree, which was just like, I keep hearing that it's like five times worse than university. So I'm like, oh my God, that was when I was like, I have actually successfully changed my own path, which like that's in itself, just, I thought that was amazing. So that was when I, you know, gave myself a pat on the shoulders. Walk me through like what show po is today. Like, what does it look like? How is it different from when you were out there, like picking the orders on consignment? Cause I know it's transformed yeah. in um, crazy ways. Well, we are a huge business now. What well, I like to be competitive. We have like over 150 staff members. So that's probably the biggest change. Like how many lives that we are impacting you know i think when we first had some like adults working with us like actual adults i was like wow out we're impacting not just them but their family (laughs) that was kind of surreal but now it's we're at a stage where we're growing up and saying that you know we're about to turn nine that show growing up and like we've hit puberty early because we're dealing with all these like growing pains at the moment to be honest Because I think when you're a company at this level, you need to set everything up at a level much bigger than what we are now. We need to hire people that is of the caliber that's much bigger than where we are so that they can take us there. And we need to buy all the same expensive software that all the bigger companies than us have, but we don't have the sales for that yet. And we also have a lot of the legacy systems from when we were much smaller. And I think we've just grown. So three years ago, we had probably like 15 staff members. So that growth, like we, we still have a lot of the older, and you know, I honestly always had thought that we had great systems and processes. Like one of our favorite sayings at the office is rules control the fun. And that's from friends. Said it. And but mm-hmm. honestly, we still mm-hmm. lack a lot of like systems and rigor. And I think that's what we need to focus on, which isn't that fun. Like we need to now have more, I guess, almost bureaucracy before things can happen. But I think it's just a necessary evil of being at this size. So I think the big focus now for me is to try and keep that startup mentality to keep ourselves agile, but also put in that level of rigor that we need for a company of this size. I think the thing about is you you constantly, you're juggling different things. So one, you know, juggling like being agile versus putting in rigor. And the other thing to juggle is you want to protect what you have because you're dealing with more money, more people's lives. If you screw up, it's, it has a bigger impact, but then you still want to keep innovating. And so, yeah, so I think it's just juggling. 
Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think one of the hardest things about scaling a business is you start with like the vision and the passion and then pretty soon you realize you're just a people manager. And so it's so easy to get into this phase where all of a sudden you're supposed to be the visionary, but your days are tied up with meetings and and managing requests and putting out fires and you're this people manager how are you still like infusing your vision? Like, how are you making sure that you are the one steering the ship of Shopo? I think some of the, like the structure we have in place kind of allows that. So we have like an executive team who are the head of departments, but then they, you know, we have quarterly strategy meetings and we have twice a week projects meetings that we call our buffer meetings. And that's where we kind of discuss projects. We asked our team to put together a business case where they had to justify their project. And, you know, if they have a genuinely good idea, like we, you know, I am on board. You know, I think we're very lucky in that we've always been so transparent with who we are, what our business is like, whether it's like, you know, on social media, to the people in our team and our candidates that when people come, they're not surprised by anything. And, we get people who are very aligned in the first place as well. Like we want people to be different and have different opinions. And one of my favorite books is Good from Great. And they say that the best managers, the best people leaders are the ones that will argue with you. They won't let you win an argument because, you know, you will pull rank. They will argue like passionately with you because they're the people that really care. So I don't know. It's like a collaborative process. 
I love that. So I want to know, like, what was the biggest mistake that you made? If you could share with our listeners the biggest mistake you made so that they never make that mistake, what would that be? Well, I think one in particular that probably would be most useful for for the listeners is to not watch your competitors too much. So we've had really great growth from the start, except for this one year. Like we, we moved to the Rack Trader District of Sydney. We moved our office there and I thought it would be fantastic to do that because it meant that we were close to our suppliers and that meant that we could, you know, we could have first dibs of all the stock because we could, you know, run down quickly. We could build close relationships with our suppliers and it'd be really, we'd save on postage for samples and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But then what this meant was because I was still doing some of the buying myself and I was on the street, I was constantly seeing our competitors who like, you know, I actually have a, a great relationship with most of them, but it meant that we were constantly seeing our competitors and it made me really competitive because it made these competitors constantly front of mind. And so I was, I subscribed to everyone's newsletters. I was following everyone on social and I ended up, you know, if I see someone else doing something cool, I would tell our team, Oh my God, let's do this. Let's do that. Which meant that every second day they were getting a different order from me or a different idea. And so we kind of, we lost our way. We lost our direction and we weren't being showpo. We were being like a mix of what we thought was best practice of what everyone else was, but it kind of, we lost our brand identity. And not only was it confusing for our customers, because honestly, it's a very crowded space on like fast fashion online space. And so if you don't have, and at this point, we were still not designing our own products. Like we design 80% of our products now. So that in itself is unique, but at the time we weren't doing that. And so without our identity, we really weren't anything. And so we lost that. So it was confusing for our customers, but it was also really confusing for our team and uninspiring to have like, to have a leader that was just copying other people. And so that year that we didn't grow at all. And we also just broke even. So that was a big lesson to learn to like, you know, you want to always stay in tune with what the industry is doing because it would be, you wouldn't want to turn a blind eye to that, but you really need to focus on your own goals and your own vision because, and really understand that anything that you do that takes you away from that actually comes at an opportunity cost. Because if you're doing someone else's, if you're doing something to copy someone else, then you're not doing your own project, which the price. That's such good advice. I feel like so many people, like the bigger they grow, they start paying attention and trying to level up or seeing what's working for someone else and then trying to emulate that. And I feel like it's so easy to get lost in that shuffle of like more, more, more and scaling and getting bigger. And oh, I think that's such good advice. So I want to know, like, if you were to start all over again, what would you do differently? Let's say you're back. You just got let go from your job. You have zero dollars, one failed business under your belt. Would you do anything different? I think what I would do better is to hire the right people because now like having that experience and honestly, I think a few key people have really been the key drivers of our growth. And that's been just phenomenal. So I think being able to, you know, find those people really help. But I think 
I honestly don't know if I would, because I used to always say that I would back myself more and take more risks, but maybe it's good the way that I've approached this because we've never taken on the investors. So the whole business has been bootstrapped. So if I was to be more gung-ho about it and have taken more risks, maybe I would have like screwed things up and have like ran out of money. So who knows? I, I kind of think like, well, I don't know. You know, that question is like, oh, what would you tell your 15 year old yeah. to be different? Differently? I would say have more confidence and blah, blah, blah. But I think like, you know, maybe, maybe having that, a, a level of like self-doubt is good because that's what keeps you self-aware as well. I don't know. Maybe like, I don't know. It's so I'm not saying it, it all worked out. So it's like, would you really yeah. No, thank God it always works out, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So crazy. Exactly. I love it. So I'm dying to know, what do your parents think of Jane today? Like now that they've seen this crazy transformation, this crazy growth, the awards, the accolades, the numbers, what do your parents think today? Oh, I mean, they're happy, but all they want is a kid right now. <laughs> like they Pressure's they on. just want me to have babies. So we'll, yeah, we just launched, I mean, they, you know, we used to go, my boyfriend and I used to go to, my parents for dinner every week and every week they would, my mom would just ask him like, why won't you marry my daughter? I'm like, Oh my God, stop. Like she starts being very subtle. <laughs> and then at dinner, she's like, just ask. I'm like, Oh my God, mom. Like we're, like we've been together for 10 years. Like we're not like, it's going to happen. It's fine. So she, and then as soon as he asked, she just, all she wants is now she's hassling us about babies. And then I'm sure when I have a kid, she's going to, put the pressure on that kid it's just it's not it's never going to end and I think I just need to come to terms with that we just launched our own bridal range like of wedding dresses and so I actually we had some real brides in that because like our models are getting married and also some of our other team members and so I actually was in the shoot you know model two of the dresses and my boyfriend well fiance he was like an extra as my groom and so we took photos and sent it to her and told her that she eloped. oh my gosh and she was like oh i'm very sad she was like very sad that she missed the wedding and then she's like okay but you're ready to have kids now <laughs> like, oh, God. do you have any fears around becoming a mom as a ceo because i think that's like a really I mean, I think that's a really valid thing as a strong female entrepreneur. It's like, what is motherhood going to do to me, to my drive, to my business? Do you have any fears around that? Yeah, I definitely do. I 100% do. But there's, I feel like there's some really great role models out there, which I mean, I think that is just like fantastic for that. So I'm going to, you know, I think one, when the time comes, like read more and listen to more podcasts with, of women who have done it. And then also, to some of the people in Australia who like some other successful businesswomen who have families and see how they've done it. Awesome. And just learn from them. That's yeah. So cool. Okay. My last question for you is this. If someone is listening today and they're either in a job that they hate, like your accounting job, or they're between jobs and they're not sure what's next, what would you encourage them to do? I would, I would say if you can go and work for a startup that you're excited. Definitely like, so go and work as an accountant for a startup. And you know what? Take that salary cut if that's what it means, because you can go to an entrepreneurial school, which actually isn't like a bad idea, but you're like, you can learn so much more on the job. Like when my business failed, that was six months of my life and I lost $10,000, but that is 
like so cheap and and you, as a crash course in business, I learned so much from that. And so a way to still make money and do that is to work for a startup and just work your, try and take on more responsibility because at a startup, there is always the opportunity. Don't go and, and when you do, don't go and be complacent. Like there is always the opportunity to take more on and think of it as personal development. Yes. And I think too, there's just so much opportunity to learn while you're doing. And I think that that is so invaluable. Yes. And don't tell people like, oh, I want to get a job for you because I want to start my own business. <laughs> That's not going to work. Very true. Very true. Where can everybody connect with you, find you, check out Shopo? Like give us all the places. Oh, great. Okay. Yay. Time to plug. Okay. So Shopo is Shopo.com and we have the best fashion over 120 new arrivals a week. Okay. I won't do that. Um, so Instagram <laughs> is Shopo, but then if you want to find me, I am the lazy CEO on Instagram and I have my own YouTube blog as well. So just with fun behind the scenes stuff. You are the best. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much for showing up today and sharing your story. I am so excited to share it with our audience. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. It's been great chatting to you. I'm still caught on the fact that Jane's parents didn't even know she wasn't an accountant for years. I mean, I know that when I took the leap from my corporate nine to five and started my own business, my parents had their doubts, but they at least knew what was going on. I kind of love that she coveted her decision to become an entrepreneur so much and she didn't want to disappoint anyone. How many of us feel like pursuing our dreams is going to disappoint someone else? And how often do we forget after we've seen success that we once had to bootstrap, we had to be scrappy in order to grow? Today's episode was such a good reminder of all the different seasons of entrepreneurship from the beginning stages to the successful stage and all of the different challenges that they bring. I hope today's episode leaves you feeling inspired and excited. And I just want to say thanks. Thanks for tuning in and making this show a possibility. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And thanks for hitting play today. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home, and thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. 
Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.